If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. The Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the first stanza of the hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, speaking there about salvation by God's free grace and favor as we enter pre-Lent, according to the one-year lectionary. This coming Sunday, the emphasis will be on grace alone. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Will Whedon joins us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. He is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. A joy to be with you. With this coming Sunday, we enter into a little season that was almost completely forgotten, but is... Returning to Lutheran practice, what is pre-Lent? Yeah, pre-Lent, or as I sometimes call Jesuitide, this is uh, a season that it can't seem to quite make up its mind. Is it reaching backward toward Epiphany, or is it reaching forward toward Lent? It almost depends on the service book you're using. If you were using the old TLH under the last rubrics that came out with that hymnal, then you would have had a character of pre-Lent that's really leaning forward into Lent. The color would already be violet, and the preface would be like Lent. And then... Uh, if you're using LSB, it goes sort of more toward the more back towards Epiphany. The color continues as green, and even the proper preface for the day continues as green. But the big question is, so what is this thing anyway, and why did the church ever feel a need for it? I think to get at the answer to that, you need to remember that Lent is the journey to Easter, and Easter is the return to the new life given to you in holy baptism. So then that means Jesumatide, this pre-Lent, it's the preparing you for the journey so that you can return to baptism. The church knows in her wisdom, you cannot be like Bilbo Baggins and simply set out for your journey without any kind of preparation, not even a kerchief in your pocket. No, if you're going to make this journey in Lent, it does take some thought and preparation. And to prepare you for this journey back to the joy of your baptism into Christ, which will be celebrated at Easter, this is exactly what the journey of Lent prepares you for and to prepare you for it this season of pre-Lent. And that's just a, a beautiful thing. You know, Lent, it reveals to us our exile. 
it puts us in the parable of the waiting father or the prodigal son, and, and it's calling for us to come home. And the lie that runs throughout the world is that, you know, man lives by bread alone. The lie is that life is merely to be found in the stuff of this world. The lie is that this world is it. All of that's how the prodigal thought. So in German, there's no mistaking what Lent itself is about. It was called Fastenzeit, the time of the fast. And the point of the fast is to discipline your body so that you learn and we learn with our bodies. We don't live by bread alone. We live instead from every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. Jesimatide wants to prepare the Christian to return for this journey to return to the new life. Today's readings stress that it's not only going to be a struggle with our flesh, because our bellies want to be filled and our bodies don't like to be disciplined, but it's a struggle with this inner attitude of distrust, distrust in God, which breaks forth from our lips in complaining, and most of all, complaining about the grace of God, which is so lavishly shared into all the world. So the big theme, if you will, of the first Sunday of Jesuimatide is sola gratia. And next week's readings are going to remind us, hey, the power for this change to take place, it's not inherent in us. It has to come to us from the word of God alone, hence sola scriptura. And then when you come to the final week of Jesuimatide, quinquagesima, you know, you're, you're roughly 50 days before Easter, the following, it's the invitation for us to see with the eyes of faith, just like the blind man did, and then to cry out to Jesus for mercy and join him with eyes wide open, following Jesus up the road to Jerusalem to see him offer himself to the Father and so return humanity to God. Because Lent is a journey to Easter, the season of Jesimatide gives you a time to prepare for the journey you're about to make. And being human beings, we actually need that preparation. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And can I throw one more last thing in there about, about Jesuitite? The thing that sort of marks the division between Epiphany and Jesuitite is, is actually usually Vespers on the Saturday before Jesuitite begins. And that's the day, historically, that you'd say farewell to the hallelujah. And I just wanted to sort of, I, I think this gives us so much a, a sense of what Jason Matite is preparing us for. I want to read the little Kretzmann piece on his farewell to hallelujah. He says, the last hallelujah dies away in chapel and cathedral. And while the echo still lingers among the rafters, the violet pyramids of sorrow are placed upon the altar. It will be Easter morning before the hallelujah is heard again. There is wisdom in this. It's another and profound difference between the church and the world. The world never willingly abandons joy. Her votaries hang on to happiness with all the strength they have until inevitably it is taken away from them. They have forgotten that the line of life must sometimes go down into the darkness of sorrow. It's never easy, but it's better to go down willingly than to be driven down like a slave to give up joy. By the strength of him who gave up heaven is part of the way by which joy and heaven will return. Easter can come only to the heart that is known Lent. The shadow that clings to all earthly good when it is seen in the light of faith is inevitable. Because of this, the Christian view of life appears so much darker than the pagan, checkered with a darkness more intense 
the brighter the light of faith shines upon it. But the farewell to hallelujah, though necessary, is only temporary. It springs from the strong compulsions of the dust from which we came and the stronger compulsions of the everlasting mercy which has lifted us from that dust. When all is said and done, Christianity is a religion of deeper gladness just because it is a religion of deeper fear and greater sorrow. The cross remains the world climax of divine and human sorrow, ineffably distant, ineffably close, the sorrow of sin and the pain of man's long and lonely separation from God. So it is good that our hallelujahs are silent for a while. In their stead appear the crown of thorns, the drops of blood, the way of mourning, the five wounds, and the sound of our hands driving nails. And on Easter morn, our returning hallelujahs will say that our Lord arose and ascended into heaven, that he is now the King of glory, who has given us a share in both his suffering and his victory, in his passion and his power, in his former pain, and in his present peace. That little devotion from Kretzmann sort of gets you in the right frame of mind to begin to move toward Lent, which is what the very season of pre-Lent is really all about, to help you prepare. So that explains the rough numbering system that we have for these Sundays, just the Latin words for how many days we have yeah. until Alleluia returns and Easter dawns. Right. They're each, it's, about, it's about, you know, it's about 70 days. It's about 60 days. It's about, uh, it's about 50 days. And then finally you get to, to, East, or to uh, Invocava when Lynn arrives. You know, you're at the quadragesima. It's the 40-some days. So the first proper we're going to look at is the intro mm-hmm. for this coming Sunday, which is Psalm 18 in both its body and its antiphon. Yeah. So the antiphon is actually, the chords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. From his temple, he heard my voice. That's the antiphon, both repeated before and after. The actual verse from the psalm that formed the historic intro, it is just the next one, I mean, the first verse of the psalm. I, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Literally stop there. Uh, it goes on, you know, and my deliverer. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. You've equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Then the glory of Patri, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. I mean, this is the glorious joy into which we are headed, the glorification of the Blessed Trinity. And yet, while we're here, the cords of Sheol entangle me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. From his temple, he heard my voice. So the picture is of here in this world, our struggle against death and the fear of death, which is continually confronting God's people. That's the thought in the, the intro for the day. The collect? The collect, you know, it's one of the ones that I don't think we actually improved when we updated it. So let me give it sort of both ways. O Lord, graciously hear the prayers of your people, that we who justly suffer the consequence of our sin may be mercifully delivered by your goodness to the glory of your name. Fessing up right away that we indeed suffer consequences to our sin. But I still like the old way better because it's just blunter. O Lord, favorably hear the prayers of your people that we who are justly punished, may be mercifully delivered. 
is confessing that God himself is the one who is behind the punishment that comes into our life and that we deserve every last bit of it. It's like we say in the general confession of sins, uh, that we deserve his temporal and eternal punishment. We really do deserve it. And yet we ask with great boldness through Jesus Christ that even though that's what we deserved, that he would mercifully deliver us by his goodness. In a set, in essence, it's the same cry for deliverance that you had in the intro for the day, the psalm. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. We will be in the Old Testament reading in Exodus 17 next. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the Internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. The Faith Once for All Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com. And use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. A blind sinner is carried to baptism administered by a pastor. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. That was the epiphany event where our eyes were opened to see the amazing grace of God in the very face of Jesus. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. He's helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Headed toward the gospel reading of Matthew 20, the first 16 verses, the laborers in the vineyard. But first, will we go to the Old Testament reading, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Yeah, I love all of these readings because you're going to notice as we work our way through them, there is a common theme. And the common theme is grousing, complaining, voices that are not happy with what God's doing in the world. And when we start to think about our return to God, we need to be able to look into our own lives and see all the things that we like to grouse and complain about. That's very much at the heart of what the readings are driving us to. So from Exodus 17, 
all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. We want to add, there was no water visibly there for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Remember, the Lord told them this is where they needed to go. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So you've got to love this whole scene. The people, I mean, God brings them all this way. He's delivered them from Egypt, right? And he has protected them through all the way. And yet when he directs them here, they're like, what kind of a place is this? There's no water. Oh, we're going to die. We're going to die here. It's a way of saying to God, I don't trust where you've led me. I don't trust where you're directing us. This is not the way we should go. And as the people's grumbling gets louder and louder and Moses clearly is, is getting nervous and wondering if he's going to survive this. God just simply instructs him, would you just take your staff and go out there and hit that rock? You know, and Moses does. He, you know, he hits the rock. And as soon as he does, it flows with water. In other words, God led them to the very place where God had abundant water for them. Water that was not apparent when they arrived, but water that he miraculously provided through Moses hitting the rock at his instruction. And so you have this picture of the people being full of faithless grumbling on the one hand and God being patient and merciful and continuing to give them and provide for them living water, fresh water, even when they were being so doubtful of him and so questioning of him and his ways. It's a beautiful picture. I want to just make a note here that from my Sunday school days, I always pictured water just kind of burbling out like a weak little fountain. Uh, And then if you look at some of the depictions of this in art, it's not just a little burbling bubble of water. It's a, it's a gushing river coming out of this rock. I mean, there were 600,000 of them. A little gurgling bit of water would not have been much water for them to be happy with, not to count their livestock. So as, as they're thinking about, um, you know, how much water they're going to need. Yeah. When the, when he hits the rock, it just, it, you know, it, uh, rivers flow in the desert. That's how the psalm puts it. Rivers flow. It starts pouring out from this rock in a beautiful way. Let's talk about the psalm and then the gradual. The psalm is 95, 1 through 9. Yeah. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. This is, of course, the Venite, which we sing at, uh, at Matins. 
And the weird thing is American Lutherans have apocopated that psalm in Matin, so we don't have the ending part that actually ties to that first reading. But we do have it traditionally in Lutheran practice in other countries. So it goes on. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Remember what just happened. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. You can sort of see them dancing around there at the the river flowing from the rock. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. And here's the antiphon verse for the psalm. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The one who made us, he is perfectly capable of supplying us with everything we need every day of our life until our earthly pilgrimage is done. But then these verses, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Marabah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. You remember, this is a clear reference to what we just read the people of Israel grumbling about the Lord and his provision, forgetting his kindness. So a real beautiful tie-in in the psalm appointed for the day for the Old Testament reading. The gradual is from Psalm 9, and it's shorter. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Set against the Old Testament reading, that is a very beautiful selection, that the Lord, he's the one you need to turn to in times of trouble, and that the people who put their trust in him, they know his name, they know that he's the Lord, the rock, and he's never turned his back on them, he's not going to forsake them, and he will arise and he will act and not let man prevail. And this is what he does by instructing Moses to strike the rock and then filling the desert with the the, the water that flows from it, satiating all the people that are there and their animals. What do we have in the epistle reading, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and then to verse 5 of chapter 10? Yeah, this is a really, really rich epistle reading. So do you not know that in a race, all the runners compete but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline. Actually, the word there is I beat my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So he's making a really big point here about Don't treat the sacraments as some sort of a talisman, something that you can just say, well, you know, I've been baptized or I've received communion, 
He's like, hey, that didn't work for the fathers, did it? They were baptized too into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. And they certainly had spiritual food and spiritual drink because Christ is the source of that water that flowed there that, that Moses gave them. And yet God wasn't pleased with them because of their unbelief. They were overthrown in the wilderness. And to make sure that your faith is not overthrown, you must discipline your body. You must. It is simply not up for grabs. Now, Perhaps no Lutheran has written about this whole area so vitally as has Adolf Kaberly in his wonderful book, uh, Justification and Sanctification, in English, unfortunately, called The Quest for Holiness. I want to share some of the thoughts from that book because it really just ties in so beautifully. He says, if asceticism, which means that bodily discipline, right? If asceticism be practiced in the form of patient endurance of temptation, it will be preserved from all traces of forcible, self-chosen, legalistically meritorious character. We may quietly wait till God imposes the burden. We do not have to trouble ourselves about its artificial creation, nor should we seek a special spiritual credit through it. Nevertheless, it will not do to limit the wholesome chastening of the Christian to the spheres just mentioned, that is to marriage, to sickness, to bearing what God sends your way. And he adds, neither did the reformers attempt to do so. But beyond this mortification, which comes by the cross, there is also voluntary exercises which are necessary, quoting the apology. The chief enemies of man are not so much his evil as his prosperous days. When the purifying fires of affliction are not burning, and the unbridled impulses of nature spread more easily than at other times. It's necessary to wage war on this destructive desire, not only at certain times, but at all times, in fullest freedom. It's true, but also with the most intense zeal. The same emphasis must be laid on both sides. He has so much that he says about this that's so good. But to get to the, to the real summary point, he says, at all events, even asceticism can be described by this paradoxical comment. Its exercise can give salvation to no one, but its neglect can corrupt anyone. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying, you fasting and, and you disciplining your body, this is never going to save you. But if you neglect doing it, it is enough to corrupt you and make you lose faith. So it's a very important point that he's running with right there, which is exactly the point St. Paul is making in the epistle reading for this day. It's like, folks, it is a race. There is a prize at the end of it. You must exercise self-control. If you don't, you will end up the way that the Hebrews ended up in the wilderness where they received these mercies from God. And yet, because of their ill discipline of themselves, of their own flesh, they fell away from him, and he was displeased with them. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. The verse from Psalm 130 is next. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., 
Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Hello, this is Roy Askins with The Lutheran Witness. You've heard me talk about all the great content we publish in the print magazine of The Lutheran Witness, but I wanted to share with you that we have even more online. Visit our website, witness.lcms.org, where you'll hear even more content on worship this month in particular from Cantor Phil Magnus. We also have a series on literature right now going on and a series on church art with much more planned in the future. You can get all that for free on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Historic St. Paul Lutheran Church in the heart of Austin, Texas, is glad to support the work of Issues Etc. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul, and I'm glad we're part of this effort. Issues Etc. for decades has been the premier voice of Lutheran doctrine and biblical teaching in all of the world, and we're glad to be a little part of making sure that the work continues. If you're ever in Austin, stop by and visit us. All the information is on the website, stpaulaustin.org. That's stpaulaustin.org. The Evangelical Lutheran Church holds that it is God who raises up men to serve His Holy Bride through His office of the Holy Ministry. At Concordia University, Chicago, we prepare men to take the first step on the path by which God leads them to His pastoral office. Are you ready to take the step? I'm Dr. James Ambrose Lee, Chair of the Division of Theology at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more about the pre-seminary program at CUC by visiting cuchicago.edu. CUChicago.edu. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Gieschen. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. God does not recall our sins for our condemnation. Rather, he remembers according to his mercy and grace. The goal of forgiveness is not to forget. The goal of forgiveness is to remember that God forgives sin by the blood of Jesus. From the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. Call Concordia Publishing House and order it, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Well, what's the verse? It's actually called the tract in this case, right? And let's just, tract means like sort of drawn out. And that's because instead of just being a little simple verse for the Alleluia, which has now disappeared, the tract tends to be long and plaintive. And in this case, it's from Psalm 130, verses 1 to 4. Out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. And think about this. You've just heard about the need to discipline your body. You've just heard that. And everybody in the room is probably sitting there going, I think... I, I know I have failed in this regard, right? 
And so from the depths, you then cry out. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you should keep count of them, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So you have both things held out there. There's fear and there is also comfort. He is not a God who's sitting there keeping tally of your sins, trying to catch you and get you on the wrong. So the encouragement toward discipline is not for his sake. It's not to impress him. It's for your sake. And that's what's being pushed. We might notice that the sin that they were guilty of in the wilderness was above all the sin of complaining. Same sin we had in the um, the first reading. We have St. Paul reflecting on it again in the second reading in the epistle and especially a concern about falling into griping about the way God leads. The gospel reading brings us to uh, Matthew 20, 1 through 16. Yeah, one of the greatest uh, gospels of the entire year. So, for the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, He sent them into his vineyard. Going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumble at the master of the house saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. All right, let's work our way through this one because it is so deep. For, you know, for the kingdom of heaven, that invites a backward glance. You have just been told that there are many who are first who will be last and the last first. The disciples had been balking at Jesus' statement about how hard, how impossible it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But then that God makes the impossible possible. They weren't distressed till he said that. That's when St. Peter says, now wait a minute. We have left everything to follow you. What will we have? You get the drift, don't you? We've given up everything, and now you're going to work some cheesy miracle and bring those schleps in who haven't done a thing? The answer of Jesus to the 12 
is that they're going to have an abundance, a kingdom. They'll sit on thrones. They'll judge Israel. They'll receive houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and land and everlasting life. That's the church. But in the church, everything is topsy-turvy from the world's view. And so today's parable, where the complaint of the workers is just like the complaint of Peter. We've left everything. And so Jesus gives an answer to those who have not left everything, but who, through the grace of God, get welcomed home too. So, verse 2, agreeing with the workers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. So this is the only place where he gives them what he's going to be handing over to them. He says, fair wages, he would give them their daily bread, no need to worry, plenty of work to do. They're going to get a denarius a day. That was the going rate. Verse 3, going out about the third hour, he saw others standing in the marketplace. And you got to see this, Todd. To God, this is the curse. They're idle. Not to be about the work for which we were created. That's to be lost. In our sinful fallenness, we picture work as the problem. And we always long for a vacation, which usually bores us to tears in the end and make us long to get back to work, right? Work is what we were created for. Work is pre-fall. Remember that God put Adam and Eve into the garden to work it. It's the unprofitableness of work that is post-fall. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So again, no wage agreed on. Not this time. He simply tells them he'll do right by them. And they trust him. They go off. Going out again about the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the same thing. He's so determined that nobody should be left in the hell of idleness, that each should be given the joy of work. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? Idle, that's the big word. They said to him, because no one hired us. He said, you go into the vineyard too. So see again his perspective. To be idle, that's to be cursed. To be at work, that is to be blessed. He would have everyone be blessed in that way. Then when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So the law required that the laborer be paid on the day he labored. And in compliance with the law, the wages are all handed out. But are these really wages? Verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius more than was due, to be sure, an hour's work and a day's wage? Looked at from the perspective of labor and management, these guys made a windfall. Verse 10, now those hired first, when they came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them received a denarius. It was a just wage, remember? But when you set it next to the others and from the typical perspective of labor management, where money is the be-all and end-all, these guys got royally screwed. And who are they? Remember the four at the beginning of the parable? And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We left everything and followed you. What do you mean with God all things are possible? The great sadness, though, is not to be at work. The money's the incidental thing. He promises, hey, you can have enough to live on, goodbye. Life is not about making money. Life is about the joy of working in the vineyard of doing the master's bidding in the master's world and pleasing the master. It's not about the money or the profit. Peter and the others don't get it. They see only what they've sacrificed, and they fail to see what the Lord has given and called them to, the fellowship of being with him 
and knowing him and serving him and loving others in his name, the very thing they were created for at the beginning and from which man fell to which Christ came to restore us, union with God and so being united in love to all. So he replies to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And then, or do you begrudge my generosity, which literally is, or is your eye evil because I am good? Then Jesus wraps it up again. So the last will be first and the first last. To think of the wage as the biggie is to miss out on what life itself is for. Life is the joy of being with him, working for him in his vineyard, in his world. Christ came to restore us to this joy, and he promises, incidentally, he'll take care of all our earthly needs along the way. But the earthly needs are not the focus, and we may not call foul on God when he seems to get some by with more earthly goods than others. For the great thing is that he graces us with the gift of work in the vineyard, and grace is the key word. I mean, this, in many ways, this parable is the justification of what Jesus will later do when he turns to the thief on the cross and says, truly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. This thief who had not followed Christ or left anything or done anything, this who, who was only a thief, but who turns to Jesus at the end and says, have mercy. Jesus gives the same gift to him that he gives to the apostles who had followed him from the beginning, that he gives to his own. It's a beautiful parable of God's grace. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. How does this parable of the laborers in the vineyard prepare us to journey through Lent to Easter? week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Titus with Devoted to Good Works and then move into Ruth with Intro to Ruth, Naomi Prepares to Return to Bethlehem, Ruth's Loyalty, and Call Me No More, Naomi. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Do you long for a church that celebrates the divine service with reverence and joy, but without the unbiblical baggage imposed by a supposedly infallible hierarchy? Do you long for a church that confesses a divinely instituted office of the holy ministry for the giving of the Lord's gifts to his people and yet values and lifts high the priesthood of all believers? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find an historic, authentic church near you on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. He is helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Will, we were talking about this gospel reading from Matthew 20, The Laborers in the Vineyard Parable. How does this parable prepare us to journey toward Easter through Lent? It reminds you that the promise of eternal life is all that you need and that whatever else comes along, whether it's much or little, It's not to be the focus. The focus is the gift of eternal life, that denarius that he promised you. He promises that gift of eternal life to all who believe in him. And when we see that this grace of God is the only thing that matters, then we're able to look at our lives and see them be reordered. We can say, oh, you know, I get so upset about this and I complain to God about this or that or the other thing. It's it's out of place, right? Because he's given me his forgiveness. He's given me his love in Jesus Christ. He's prepared for me a home in heaven that I cannot lose in him. And because of this, why on earth am I bothered and concerned about all these other things? I need to discipline my flesh lest I fall into the sins of the Israelites and forget that in Jesus, I have everything that I need. He really is my all. That's how it prepares you. It gives you the ability to look over your life and say, hey, what's the complaining in my life that needs to go because I've forgotten about the grace of God in Jesus? That's how it prepares us. We are called to repent of our, what should we call it? One of the translations, do you begrudge me? Yeah, do you begrudge me? Begrudging God God's generosity. His generosity and love toward others. I mean, when you see, I mean, you know, the, the, the example I've always used for this is picture the scene. You There you are. Your mom says to you, I'm going to give you, uh, I don't know, $20 if you go out in the yard and, and rake up the leaves and get, you know, you know, put them in bags, get it all done, and I'll give you $20. And, and, and you're like, okay, mom, and you go out and do it, right? And, and right, what, five minutes before you're ready to be done, 
your little brother comes around the corner and he's got himself a, a, one of those little fake rakes that kids can use, you know, and he gathers a little bit and he puts it in a bag and your mom, she's, you know, you're, you're seeing your brother, you go, oh, isn't that cute? Look at that, you know? And, and then your mom calls you guys up and she gives your brother $20 and then she gives you $20, right? I mean, you're going to be like, what, mom? I did all the work. That little rat did nothing. Look at what he, I mean, come on, this isn't fair. We, we get this. I mean, everything inside of us gets how it, we're like, this is not fair. And we have to look at this and go, whoa. And that's the problem. God isn't fair when he gives out his grace. And that's the joy of the grace. He is generous and it's inviting us to rejoice at his generosity and not to gripe about it, to see how he loves others and to rejoice in that. It's so built into us and and our hypocrisy that goes along with it, which is, I cite my grandchildren, if I've got three brownies, they simultaneously cry if they feel like the other child's brownie is one millimeter larger than theirs. But when going to choose the brownie, they always choose the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. We do want the grace for ourselves. Oh, Yes. But we begrudge it to others. <laughs> so what's at the heart of that? Is it comparing ourselves to others or is it really more fundamental that grace for me but not for thee? I mean, looking at, at, at the heart of it, it's this looking out for self as though looking out for old number one. Yeah, you made yourself be number one, which is the fundamental idolatry of our fallen nature, right? It's a very sad thing. Of course, the answer to the brownie thing with the kids, right, is that one of them gets to cut and the other one gets to choose. It only works if there's two. Yeah, we've tried that. <laughs> yeah, we've tried that. And World War III can still erupt, right? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty perverse, though, that we would be glad to receive mercy ourselves, but not want others to receive mercy. Yeah, to begrudge. I mean, they, you, I'm glad you you know sort of picked up on that word, to begrudge. I really think that's that's at the heart of it, and it shows the the, the horrid, twisted nature of our of our inner being that we are that way. Hey, we're happy when God dishes out the gifts on us, but hmm, why is he giving it all to them? You know, that's where it gets hard. So what would you say about the hymns that are presented for us this coming Sunday with a couple minutes left? Okay, the two hymns that are really great are Salvation Unto Us Has Come, the hymn of the day. And this is, of course, Spiratus' wonderful summary of the gospel as he learned to hear it from Luther's preaching. So, Salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. And then, you know, it goes through the entire theology of Romans, really. You know, God in his law demanded something we couldn't render. This caused wrath and woe on every hand for man, the vile offender. Our flesh, it doesn't have those pure desires. We begrudge God's generosity to our neighbor, which the spirit of the law requires. Our condition is actually lost. But hey, it was a false and misleading dream that God gave you his law for you to figure out how to save yourself and gain heaven by your works. The law is rather a mirror. It shines brightly on you and shows you what inbred sin actually is in your life, how it lurks inside of your nature and how your flesh just can't abstain from it. It just keeps on winning. So the task is useless. It's hopeless. Your guilt just keeps increasing. You can't get rid of sin's poison dart. No one can clean this guileful heart. The corruption is too deep, but the law has to be fulfilled. So what's the solution? Christ came 
and he stilled God's anger by sharing our human nature. He obeyed the law perfectly for us, and thus the Father's vengeance has stayed, which was impending over us. He made full atonement and brought us salvation, and so Christians can be really glad and build on this foundation, because by grace alone we are saved. Your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Your death is now my life indeed, for you have paid my ransom. And the hymn just goes on glorying in this. It's really gem of a verse, though, is the second to the last. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify works, serve the neighbor, and supply the proof that faith is living. So the only way we're going to have this new heart, which will joy in the gifts of God toward the neighbor, is when through faith we have grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ and seen that in him God has given us absolutely everything that we need, and in him God has given us everything that also our neighbor needs. Another hymn that really fits on this day is Hark the Voice of Jesus Calling. No, not that one. 827, not 826. So this is a version of the hymn with the last three stanzas supplied by Stephen Starkey. Listen to this. Some take up his task in morning to their Lord responding soon. Some are called in heat of midday, others late in afternoon. Even as the sun is setting, some are sent into the fields, there to gather in the bounty that God's word so richly yields. There's the parable that we just had today in a nutshell in that second verse that the Lord calls people to their tasks at all different times to do the work. How would you summarize this first Sunday in pre-Lent as we Turn our eye toward Easter. As you journey towards Lent, as you think about how you will travel to Easter, what do you need to pack and what do you need to leave behind? What we need to leave behind is all the grousing and the complaining and the unbelief which that betrays, all of our doubt about the way that God is leading, all of our, you know, when the same temptation comes around and you fall again and you're like, God, why? Why? This is what needs to be left behind. We need to be able to say, Thank you, God, for something that reminds me that I can only live by grace. I can only live by your generosity. Thank you that I only live from your mercy and not at all from my own doings. That's what that Sunday prepares you to do. Septuagesima gets you on the way by reminding you that it's always going to be by grace alone, period, the end. And what you need to take with you on this Sunday is this delight in the Lord's generosity. Instead of grumbling over what he has given to your neighbor, focus instead on the great things he has given to the whole world in his son. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thanks. Thank you. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part today by Luther Academy. Luther Academy recently completed its first conference in Spain. The theme was Lutheran Hymns. Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology and research through publications, scholarly exchanges, and conferences. Find out about the worldwide mission outreach of Luther Academy at lutheracademy.com, serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth, lutheracademy.com. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll get Scott Klusendorf's reaction to President Biden's recent remarks about restoring Roe, and we'll discuss engaging people with special needs with Dr. Carrie Chittick. 
I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3 on Sunday afternoon, February 4th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 4th.